Welcome to Central Coast Voices, a program addressing the ramifications of change in our communities and beyond, and how today's choices will impact tomorrow's community. This program is a project of Action for Healthy Communities and provided in collaboration with KCBX and the Community Foundation of San Luis Obispo County. Today's host is Lotta Murdy, and today's topic is the crisis in foster care. You're invited to listen, learn, and participate in our conversation today, Thursday between 1 and 2 p.m. Call in and be part of the discussion at 805-549-8855 or email your questions to voices at kcbx.org. Now let's join Lotta and her guests. Over to you, Lotta. Thank you, Brad. As adults, we often talk about the long-term impact that childhood trauma has on our lives. But what about the immediate impact that childhood trauma has on today's children, especially on California's Central Coast? And what if that trauma is so severe that it requires children to leave their current families for foster families? For 35 years, Family Care Network Incorporated, or FCNI, has been addressing these issues for California's Central Coast. And here with me today to talk more about the network and its services are three key members of its staff. John Nibio, Interim CEO of Family Care Network Incorporated, or FCNI, Brittany Page, Housing Navigator for FCNI, and Kaidi McArdle, Community Resources Development Supervisor for FCNI. Welcome, John, Brittany, and Kaidi. Thank you for being here today. Thank you so much, Lada. We're glad to be here. Thank you. So, John, please tell us more about Family Care Network, who you are, and what services you provide. Well, um, first off, thank you, Lada, and thank you for KCBX for having us, and and hopefully we can shed some some light on some of the needs that we have here in our community and some of the successes we have, and then some of the challenges we face. So Family Care Network, we're going on our 35th year of existence and we're a nonprofit and we provide primarily our services all throughout San Luis Obispo County. And we also provide um, two services for current and former foster youth in Santa Barbara County as well. And um, so our agency was you know, founded some 35 years ago back in around 87. And what was happening um, in our world of serving children was that primarily um, kids were placed in out of county institutional type care, group home care in our county. And um, and there was um, very little access to foster care back then. What, what we found through a lot of time and research was that a lot of children in the system had unmet needs and they would exit foster care at 18 and end up um, often homeless or incarcerated um, without the extra help and support they needed. So Family Care Network really was founded on trying to provide some therapeutic foster care to be able to meet the needs of those kids and partner with those families that were willing to take children into their home so they would be more successful. So back then, you know, our system of serving children was really primarily focused on hospital care and institutional type care. And we really needed to make that move to family-based care and providing services in the community to, to achieve better outcomes. So could you talk some more about the differences between that institutional care 
and family-based care, especially therapeutic care. Um, what are the major differences there? Yeah, so um, fortunately or unfortunately, I've been in this career a long time, <laughs> which I'm grateful to be. But uh, when I uh, when I started in this career some over 30 years ago, um, I worked in hospital-based um, care, for example. And then later I worked with probation with kids in the juvenile hall setting. And then I also worked with social services. So when back in those days when all we had was institutional level care, the outcomes weren't really great. It wasn't because there wasn't great staff working in those programs. It's just those models are not of grouping people together were not conducive to good outcomes. So if you think back to when I know when I was a teenager or a child and I was experiencing some difficulty and challenges, if you put me in a large group with similar kids that are faced with that, um, you're not going to have the best outcomes. So what, what we've learned through that process is that for a child to be in a family setting, um, you're, you're going to have much bit better outcomes. And if you can place them with a family or a relative with intensive services, then you're going to even have a better outcome. And then you would want to use foster care on a more short-term basis to be able to stabilize and work and reunify them with family or relatives as soon as possible. So back in the old days, um, children and youth would go into foster care or group home care, and they would stay for a year, two years, three years, sometimes even longer, and never have that opportunity to reunify with a family member or relative or go into a more family-based model of care. Um, so that really was the big difference. And, and if we even went back to probably the early 90s, to give you an example, a county the size of San Luis Obispo had over 150 kids placed out of county in these type of programs. And again, the outcomes weren't bad, the cost was really high. If we fast forward today, we have less than 12 that are in out of county group home care because we uh, added a, a variety level of services here in our community to be able to better support those children, youth and families. So that's kind of a little bit of a snapshot on it. That's a big difference. And a big yeah. difference in, in numbers as well. Um, so, Brittany, you're the housing navigator for Family Care Network. Could you talk some more about that role? Yeah. So, at Family Care Network, we have, um, let's see, one, two, sorry, I didn't think about this, about, I want to say, four housing programs um, in the department that I kind of overview and see um, support with. Um, and as a housing navigator, um, I do a whole bunch of different like roles and support that I provide to um, families, youth, and individuals um, who are needing housing, whether they not be in housing and are homeless or they um, are in housing, but the housing they're in is not manageable. Um, I, one of my roles is to directly work with the landlords and property managers. So if that means seeking out um, landlords, I'm cold calling, trying to find rentals and landlords that are willing to work with us. Um, and then I provide more um, supportive services to the participants that are in need with trying to um, help them learn how to find housing and um, meeting any 
needs that they may have that are barriers to them finding housing, um, whether it be helping them learn how to fill out applications or how to talk to landlords themselves or um, any high needs that they may have. So I've been wondering this for a while. Um, I've heard that the preferred term now is not homeless, but unhoused or unsheltered or houseless. What term do you prefer to use and in family care network, especially when talking about youth? Well, um, so oh, go ahead. Go ahead, so We go ahead. usually call them unhoused or housing unstable. Um, and yeah, that's the term I've came across being used a lot more. And, and I think why um, the term homeless housing is still uh, somewhat used interchangeable is because the there's two state funds that uh, provide um, services to two populations related to this, and it's kind of under their home homeless family division. So um, that probably will change over time uh, as well. But we it's just like uh, we would talk about food insecurities and things like that to help family to kind of break away from that stigma and 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 help them as best we can. Great, thank you. Uh, Kaidi, what do you do as a community resources development supervisor for FCNI? Could you talk about your role? Sure, yeah. Our department is all about engaging with our community, our very generous community, um, folks and, and, and businesses, corporations who would like to support our the, the work that we do with children, youth, and families. Um, so we manage in-kind donations, uh, monetary donations. We um, ha- hold events. Uh, one of our team members is currently working on a Thanksgiving event for our transitional aged youth. And um, so, and I, I think that's an annual event that we do. That's very exciting. Um, uh, we also um, have an annual event called Benefit for Kids. And throughout the year, and perhaps um, later I'll talk about the event, the campaign we have called Good Joy, which is a holiday event. Uh, or a holiday campaign. Um, but so, yeah, our my job and the team's job is to engage with the community. So when engaging with the community, what do you find are the most common questions each of you get about Family Care Network and, and what you do? I think one of the things that I would share is once um, the folks in our community learn about us, they ask how they could be involved and how they could help you know, we, we live in a, in a community of, 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 of passion and compassion for serving children and youth and families. And, and, and I, re, I really feel grateful to be able to work in San, San Luis Obispo County and Santa Barbara County because of that. And, and, and I would just share a little bit, uh, back in June of this year, we received award at one of the nonprofits of the year in California. Um, and they only issue a hundred of those each year. So we, in accepting that reward, we really saw it as an extension of our community, those people that support us, those donors, those volunteers, as well as our other community-based organizations and nonprofits that we all work with. And, and I think we're very fortunate to have these connections and relationships with our county partners at social services in both counties, probation, child welfare, and behavioral health. So it's really all of those entities in the nonprofit world working together that makes it work. 
And so when you look at our mission statement, and it's to enhance the well-being of children and families in partnership with our community, and we really couldn't exist, and we really couldn't do what we do without that community. So Kaidi and her team are really vital to that and be able to um, help us fill gaps that typical programs might not cover the cost of that really can lead to maybe helping somebody be successful in college, vocational, establishing housing, uh, you know, working on their unresolved trauma and, and, and stressors that they, that they face throughout their life. So it really is, I think, a reflection of our community and, and our partnership with the community. So um, our CRD, our community resource development is, is essential uh, to what we do. Um, and there's several examples I'm sure we can give uh, about that. Uh, you know, Kaidi and I were just meeting with a, somebody who supports us uh, with transition age youth funding to fill gaps. And without their generosity, um, there was a, there's a young single father in his age, you know, in his early 20s, and he received a housing voucher to be able to get an apartment to help cover that. But there wasn't assistance with first, last, or even furniture. So we needed that donation to be able to make that happen and and provide a home for him and his and his few children and his two children as well. So that's just one of many examples of how our community supports us. Very good. I'm Lada Murti with you for Central Coast Voices on KCBX, your Central Coast listener-supported radio station. The voices with mine today are Kaidi McCardle, Community Resources Development Supervisor for Family Care Network, or FCNI, Brittany Page, Housing Navigator for FCNI, and John Nibio, Interim CEO of FCNI. And we are talking about the CARE Network and the services it has been providing on California's Central Coast for 35 years. The Family Care Network started in 1987. Listeners, have you had experience with an organization like Family Care Network Incorporated or with foster care? If so, please call in and tell us about it. 805-549-8855. Or you can email your questions and comments to voices at kcbx.org. So we talked a little bit about the common questions you get from the community. The largest one or the biggest question, most common being, how can we get involved? What are some questions that show some misunderstandings about Family Care Network and the services that you provide? I think a, a quick one was since we were founded as a in our original back in 1987 as a small foster care agency, some of the misconceptions are that that's, we just do foster care, but we've expanded and grown our services over the past 35 years to some of the programs that we talked about. I think the other thing that um, that a misconception sometimes is the stigma that our children and families face maybe because of their particular unmet needs related to mental health or addiction. Um, sometimes there's a misconception that, uh, that folks um, just want a handout and they're not really wanting to be responsible. And so our whole service delivery model is about empowering folks, meeting them where they're at, building upon their strengths and, and, and helping them to be successful in achieving their goals or whatever goals the court might have for them. 
And so I, I would say that we have our, our, our community of, of, that we serve, they're very resilient. They just need some assistance to be able to be successful. And a um, couple examples, we, we recently were acknowledged for our 12 year uh, uh, program that we just, uh, we celebrated our 12 year anniversary, which is our Tay Achievers program, which is helping current former foster youth go to college or vocational school. And these kids over 12 years are graduating at, at a higher rate than the general population because they get some ongoing support that they don't have because maybe they're not in touch with a parent or a relative to provide that. And so we just had a youth who finished law school and is uh, hired as a, an attorney in San Francisco. We've got several who've become social workers, uh, electricians, plumbers, and beauticians. And what's really neat about all of those particular youth and the families we serve, most of them want to give back and find a way to help, help others. And, and that's really exciting to me because we're, we're really helped to, to, to cultivate the next generation of caring people in our community. As these people um, and families become more successful, they want to help others as well. So that, that's really an exciting part. And what is the Achievers program called again? Yeah, it's called the Tay Achievers. And Tay stands for, <laughs> we live in a world of acronyms in our industry, but it's Transitional Age Youth uh, Achievers Program. And it's really a unique program, um, fairly unique to our county, where there are some um, co cost savings from one of our uh, programs that can get reinvested by social services to help foster youth. And those funds go to help that program as well as some of the donations and scholarships and stuff we receive through Rotary and private donors to really help them be successful. And um, it, it's really rewarding. And again, the uh, majority of them ask, how can we help? Uh, you know, one of the young ladies said, I don't really want to tell my life story, but I want to make lots of money so I can help. And then we have other youth that say, I want to tell my life story. I want to be a social worker. I want to, I want to help in some way. I want to be a probation officer. I want to be a therapist. And so, um, again, I think that's the rewarding part of the work that we do. And we have several clients uh, that we've served that are currently employees with us at Family Care Network, too, and they help to support families. We also did a, um, a, a kind of an anonymous survey of our staff. Oh, we probably mostly did it about four years ago. And uh, many of us in the helping profession have lived experience ourselves. I can raise my hand for that one. And so what that means is that uh, the majority of our staff have had experienced some adversity. They understand it and they have compassion for it. And, and then they go on to, to, to sharpen their skills through training and education to be able to make a difference in their community. So Heidi, if our listeners want to find out more about how to get involved, um, just in, in the ways that John's mentioned, where can they learn more about that? Yeah, well, you know, it's it's easy to say, of course, you know, go to our website, fcni.org. And, you know, in addition to our website, I really recommend that folks check us out on social media. You know, um, we are very active on Instagram and Facebook and also YouTube. Um, I know as a new employee myself, I learned a lot from our from our social media channel, channels about the organization. Um, our website also has a blog. 
that um, that has a lot of really awesome success stories and awesome introspection and, and really neat writing. So I recommend the blog on our website as well. And I would add too that um, if anybody's out there interested in becoming a foster parent, there is really a need for foster parents in our community. And you can reach out through the ways that Kaidi um, shared or feel free to give us a call at 805-781-3535 and we'll get back to you and explain um, what, what, it, what it takes to be a foster parent and what the process is and, and be able to connect people um, to that as well, because that's a huge need for us right now. And Lada, if, I, if I could add, um, and I know Brittany could speak to this, uh, you know, in depth, but um, in addition to what John just said, um, we are always looking for landlords. And, and again, we can kind of dive into that topic. Um, but yeah, family-based care for foster youth, um, also staff members. So yeah, there are a lot of, because we have so many programs, there are a lot of needs that we have that the community can step up to. Did you want to say some more about those needs, Brittany? Yeah. Um, I mean, we're always looking for landlords, property managers, um, private landlords, anybody who's willing to open their home to our families, youth, and individuals who are needing support with just getting into a stable environment um, to get into onto their feet and be able to make a success out of themselves. And has the pandemic affected any of this? Have you seen a um, an impact there? With yeah, the yeah. The, the, I'm glad you asked. That's a great question, Lana. Um, the the uh, pandemic really had an impact on our children and families that we serve, um, and also the staff um, that provide the services as well. Um, trying to manage your children and not, they're not being in school in the early phases and the rollout of the vaccine and all that. So there was many challenges. And I would say that probably 90% of our services are provided out in the community, in people's homes and, and, and in community locations. We're not necessarily a clinic-based uh, uh, program. We're actually out there in the field. So the you know navigating um, all of the entities uh, related to safety and health related to the pandemic was a real challenge. But I would say, you know, our staff are just truly amazing and they recognize that need that we really did need to go face to face with our clients. We really couldn't do too much virtually. We could support a little bit, but we needed to be out there face to face, uh, helping them in the ways that they needed. And so um, the other thing I would say that was uh, impactful and truly amazing is that we have been successful in housing a lot of homeless families, even through the pandemic. Um, and I remembered a community member who had an Airbnb and wasn't able to rent it out because uh, uh, people weren't traveling at that particular time. But he opened that up for short-term uh, temporary housing to help a few families. So, yes, there was many challenges and many obstacles. The other thing that uh, the pandemic has shown for children and families is levels of uh, stress and anxiety have are, are really at a, at a record high right now, um, children and youth going back to school who hadn't been in school for a period of time presents many challenges. And um, those teachers on the front line working as hard as they can to support the children. So a lot of them are behind academically because a lot of the school they missed. 
and then we also saw situations where, depending on your economic status and access to electronic equipment, um, if you didn't have internet or you didn't have access to a computer, you were going to struggle. So we worked very hard. I know the schools had many programs. We had supports and fundings to try to get folks that equipment as soon as possible to keep up, keep up with their learning. So it's, it's kind of like we're starting to come out of that a little bit, but the needs for services are really high. And then we're also dealing with workforce challenges, just like uh, most of the community is too, to meet that ongoing need. Um, so the, the impact was great and we've had to adapt and adjust. Uh, and I think we've been successful in that and we're, we're continuing to always try to hire quality people to, to help to meet the needs of our children and families. Um, Any other unanticipated adaptations or adjustments that you had to make in your work with Family Care Network, Brittany or Kaidi? Um, with COVID, um, virtual made it a lot more difficult um, with being able to um, have our families be as independent, I feel, as we normally push them to be. Um, because with COVID, we weren't allowed to go and meet with them at some points um, because of sickness and things like that. And so um, instead of guiding them to do things like um, meeting with them at a proper management company, um, sitting with them and talking with them about what they're going to say before they go in and coaching them as they go in through the door and turning in those applications and such. We had to kind of do that before they went in um, over the phone, you know, schedule a meeting prior um, and kind of send them off. So they didn't, I feel like they didn't get as well support as they were before COVID when we could go with them um yeah so john you talked about this a little bit but um what kept family care network going during this time and what has kept it going for 35 years because that's pretty remarkable for a nonprofit organization um that serves um really some high-need populations in this area? Yeah, it's a great question. I, I think really that we all stayed really focused on what our mission is. And uh, in relation to the, you know, those few the years of, that we're starting with the pandemic, I'll, I'll start with that. We really, we really worked hard to stay focused on our mission and also supporting each other who were facing these obstacles and we had staff out sick. So many of us took on two or three jobs and it really is the commitment to the mission. And then the, the clients that we serve that really kind of motivated us through this. And I have to say um, just the, you know, the frontline workers, the social workers, the rehabilitation specialists, the navigators, everybody, really pitched in and was willing to do more because of, of the commitment to our clients. I think the other thing is, it's another, again, reflection of our caring community. We partnered really closely with the county on all the safety protocols. Um, our staff, again, working in the community, needed to get uh, vaccinated as soon as possible, like our health community needed to, so we could get out there and be effective and, and do the work we needed to do. So it was a commitment to that. 
And I, and I think that's true. We have that culture for 35 years, our commitment to that. So when we hit the adversity of the pandemic, it, it wasn't something new that we needed to roll up our sleeves and support each other because that's what we really had it to do. And, and with a nonprofit, I've worked in for nonprofits. I've worked for a private hospital. I've worked for county government as well. So I understand each of those worlds. And in the nonprofit world, um, we have to work harder um, and we need our community to support us to kind of make up those gaps that sometimes exist in, 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 in government-funded programs. So I, I think it brought out the best of our partnerships with our community at social services, behavioral health, probation, education. I think it also brought the, the best out of our workers and staff who, who really teamed up together. There's an old line that says, uh, adversity has a way of introducing us to ourselves. <laughs> and I think that's really true. And, um, you know, uh, I felt grateful that I could be in the office every day. Uh, most people were working remote, but there was a core group of us. And, and I, so I think we really bonded through those challenging times. And our families and our clients, they, they sensed that too, that we were in it together, as well as our community partners. So that really, I think, helps sustain us. Uh, and I, maybe Kyrie or Brittany could add some different aspects to that. But that's what really strikes me. Brittany, I'd love for you to add to that after the break. But right now we're going to take a short break to hear from our studio and a little bit of music. Over to you, Brad. And thank you. We will return to Central Coast Voices in just a moment. A uh, quick look at the KCBX community calendar. The Morro Bay Art Association invites you to its event, the World of Needle Arts, on Monday, November 14th from 3 to 5 at the Art Center in Morro Bay. It's a free demo in the fine art of needlework taught by professional artists. You'll get to sample various needle techniques like needlepoint, cross-stitch, surface embroidery, beading, and more. To register or to get more information, you can visit artcentermorrobay.org. And just a reminder that on our website at kcbx.org, we've got a lot of resources available for you, uh, including our community calendar. You can submit your nonprofit or community service item to share. You'll find it under the calendar tab right there at kcbx.org. I'm Maria Hinojosa. Next time on Latino USA, a conversation with journalist and author Carmen Rita Wong about her memoir, Why Didn't You Tell Me? And about how writing has helped her understand her family's past. My youngest sister gave me a photograph that she had found in our dad's closet. If I had seen it at any point, it would have burst my life wide open. That's next time on Latino USA. On the next Fresh Air, New York Times science writer David Wallace-Wells explains that due to international action on climate change and declining prices for renewable energy, it now appears global warming has slowed significantly. The bad news is that the warming we can expect will create havoc in much of the world. Join us. Scientists are putting housing through its paces in labs. The actual buildings, I mean. We can actually recreate a Category 3 hurricane in this facility um, using those fans. I'm Kai Rizdal, Reinforcement Engineering, next time on Marketplace. That's ahead today on our Thursday here on KCBX. It's Latino USA from 2 to 3, fresh air from 3 to 4. And then Marketplace uh, comes your way from 4 to 4.30. Right now, let's return to Lada Murdy and her guests on Central Coast Voices. Back to you, Lada. 
Thanks, Brad. Welcome back to Central Coast Voices. I am on with Brittany Page, Housing Navigator for Family Care Network Incorporated, or FCNI. John Nibio, Interim CEO of Family Care Network. And Kaiti McArdle, Community Resources Development Supervisor for FCNI. And we are talking about Family Care Network, its services, and how Central Coast listeners can be involved. So listeners, do you have any questions about getting involved in FCNI? Call 805-549-8855, or you can email questions and comments to voices at kcbx.org, and we will get them on the air. So before the break, we were talking about Family Care Network's staying power Um, for 35 years here on the Central Coast and how they've overcome challenges during that time, like the pandemic. And um, Brittany and Kaidi, it sounds like you had some specific ways as well that you wanted to talk about um, that the network has has overcome challenges. Yeah, well, as a larger local organization, nonprofit, I I think that Family Care Network has been very innovative over the years. I know that John can speak to specifics around that, but you know we offer a lot of programs. Um, we have you know different services that are incredibly thoughtful and, like I said, innovative. And and I think that the stability that we've had over the years is really you know proof of that. Yeah, I think along that line of innovation is. Um, Again, we as an organization, we were willing to adapt our service model to meet the the changing of the times to to get better outcomes. Um, I also think that we've um, expanded opportunities when we've had the chance when um, some of these housing support programs became available. We saw how we could make it make a difference and, and be impactful in that because we had been supporting families indirectly with housing through another program. So when that opportunity came, we said, yes, let's do it. Let's let's do it. And and I think the, 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 the other adaptation and strength that we've had is we have a number of staff who came in at one position, but they've grown and we've worked and developed and they've maybe enhanced their education. And they may have started out in one position, but then moved up into other positions and become leaders within the organization and have stayed a long time. And that's been really good. So when we onboard new staff like Heidi, she's she's coming into a, an established program with new ideas and contributions, and those are welcomed. Uh, but she has a, a great team around her. Um, you know, Brittany's just invaluable in the experience that she has, and she can lend that level of expertise to some of our newer staff who are excited about helping but are just starting their career and she has a wealth of knowledge i i've known Brittany for a number of years uh, uh but we won't we won't say how old we are but uh, for a number of years and i've learned a tremendous amount from Brittany through the years just in her experiences and how she approaches things so i think that's part of a part of our culture that's helped really sustain us uh, we have many current leaders that started out um, in different positions and have grown and and stayed with us, and that's really helped us have a solid foundation. Brittany, was there anything you wanted to add about 
tough times and, and overcoming them in Family Care Network. Well, let me ask a different question. Um, going back um, to... Just as John was saying, can you hear me? I can, uh -oh. yes, we can. Thank you. Or we could. Um, we'll, yes. we'll come back to that. But I, um, going back to, to foster care and foster youth, um, and John, you'd mentioned how there's often a stigma attached to um, youth in foster care. And so I, I wonder then, is there a a typical or are there um, general characteristics or circumstances of youth today who are in foster care and need foster care? Or is there really no typical when it comes to foster youth today? Well, I think there's some common threads and, and they are that these are children at, at a young age may have experienced some real adverse situations. Could be growing up in an environment of, of domestic violence or substance abuse or have mental health needs. They may have experienced these traumas. And what we've learned through the years is that trauma does impact us physiologically. And we're much more skilled in offering treatments and services that have some evidence to it that helps them progress through that trauma and grow. And, and, and I, so I think those are common threads. And um, I would say another one really is that these particular children and youth are very resilient. They may be in a phase of life where they're confused, they're angry, they're still acting out some of their trauma, but it's a process. And if we can help them through that, help them understand that they're part of a larger caring community and that when a donor steps up to help them get into theater class or help them to get into a sports program, um, that those are things that can help grow, develop and sustain them through this challenging time so that we can give them alternatives to uh, some of the other things they face. That's why I really love this Tay Achievers program because it's really having a generational impact when you think about it because if you can be lifted from poverty by finding a vocation or a trade becoming a plumber going to school um you're going to be in a better situation in your in, in your life and you're going to be able to be contributing in greater ways in helping and so i think that those type of things are really really important um, one of our young ladies that um, actually spoke publicly, what we're trying to do to help break down the stigma is for people who are comfortable and who are ready in their life to share portions or their story. We want to create opportunities for that. So when we received this resolution acknowledgement from our County Board of Supervisors, we had two youth there who spoke and we had two other youth who provided little videos about their lives and how important the program was. So I think a lot of times in our world, we're focused on the negative and we hear the negative and there's so much positive that these clients and families are, 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 are achieving that we need to celebrate that and get that out there and help break down that stigma. Um, you know, one of our young ladies who's in her master's program in social worker happens to be a, a track star and she just placed fifth in the conference at her, her university. And she wants to maybe become a pro athlete or become a social worker to help more. So we need to celebrate those successes and 
create environments where people can hear the successes and what helps them to be successful. Uh, I think that's really critical. And that's that's good to hear. It's good to hear about the positive. Um, Brittany, I, I know that you're experiencing some technical difficulties on your end, but I'm wondering if you could speak to the other side of side of this. Are there certain characteristics that make uh, foster care families be a good fit for for foster care youth? Um, there are certain things that that you and others look for in deciding on a on a family to provide care for youth. Um, so I work in the housing program, so I don't, I'm not super familiar with, um, the process and things about foster care. I can share a little bit about um, that too. And how that goes. Um, but in regards to housing, um, we help any family that's been referred to us, um, and enters our program and we try to support them in finding a home that fits best for their needs and um, find a family for the landlords we work with um, to try to find a family that fits the needs all around for everybody. So that way um, it increases their chances of continuing to stay in the housing with that landlord. Very good. Did you have anything you wanted to add to that, John? Yeah, so on the foster care side of things, um, you know, I, I think that we've had a few parents, I'll give you an example, that have fostered with us for 15, 20, 30 years. <laughs> and they've, they've kind of retired out of, uh, out of the system, but helped so many children and youth and families in their lives. So we're, we're, we're needing to adapt. And, and I think one of the characteristics of a good foster parent is is somebody who obviously cares and has a lot of compassion for, for these children and youth. Um, primarily, we're serving youth from 12 to 18 in foster care, so they're 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 not you know three months old or four months old or young babies. Oftentimes, the community wants to step up for those. So we're really looking for a unique uh, type of parent. It could be an individual. It could be uh, it could be a family that has great care and compassion, but wants to learn about the impact of trauma, wants to learn about those interventions because we see those parents as a, a therapeutic agent and part of the team that we want to wrap around with. And we always we always look at the way there's no substitute for family and it's and it's really helpful. So we, we, we were trying to attract people that are dedicated in, to that, but also want to sharpen their skills and work as a team and receive the support that we could wrap around them. And um, so in, in some ways, we're also working with our county and our state to try to have foster care rates that, this gets into housing, right? That, that can cover that difficulty of care rate, which is for caring for that child who may have difficulties in school, who may need tra extra transportation, but also sometimes parents want to take a child, but they might need um, to move from a one-bedroom to a two-bedroom apartment, right? So we need a rate where people could say, yes, I could step up and do this because a lot of us are facing housing crisis. It's just not the, the families that we're serving. Housing is very difficult in, in both of our counties that we serve. 
So we're really being strategic about that. And we've had a couple of staff who actually left their job with us, a social worker that retired <laughs> and someone in our admin, uh, admin department that retired so they could become one of these foster parents for us. And they could receive a rate that could help them to be able to uh, be at home parent for this child who's facing, uh, facing these challenges. So I think those are some of the characteristics we're really looking for team players, folks that are willing to learn and grow with us and have compassion. Um, it, uh, we get some inquiries and, and it's an extensive process to go through an assessment and a background check. And, and we require extra training because we wanna set that family up for success. Um, so those are some of the things that are important for, for foster families. I'm Lada Murti with you for Central Coast Voices on KCBX, Central Coast Public Radio, your listener-supported radio station. If you recently joined us for today's show and want to listen to the entire broadcast, you can. It's available on our website at www.kcbx.org under the On Demand tab. Click on Central Coast Voices and you will find this show and many others to choose from. Today, I am talking with John Nibio, Interim CEO of Family Care Network Incorporated, or FCNI, Kaidi McCardle, Community Resources Development Supervisor for FCNI, and Brittany Page, Housing Navigator for FCNI. We still have a little more time for your emailed questions or comments at voices at kcbx.org. So all of you referred to this a little bit earlier, but for those in the community who aren't ready to commit to being a foster care family, what are some other specific ways that they can give and donate and support to FCNI? Kaidi? I'd love to address that, yeah. So we have a program called FAM, Financial Assistance Monthly. Um, we are always looking for folks to join FAM to give uh, every month $5, $10 or more. Um, and that can be found on our website at fcni.org. I mentioned earlier, you know, social media, Facebook, Instagram, we'd love you to like and share all those wonderful social media actions you can take to be involved in our work. Um, talk to folks in your life about our mission and kind of going up the ladder of involvement, you know, we're always looking for volunteers. We have a mentor program. If someone who's a business person or, or a career person in the community who would like to share their skills with a youth in our care, we'd love to talk to you about that. Share, you know, for an hour, talk about what you do and how they could become, um, you know, get, get into the same career that you are in. So we have that volunteer opportunity and others. Also, as we talked about, you know, becoming a landlord, uh, working working in our department that Brittany has spoken of, our housing department, and um, and and being in the family-based care, you know, for for foster youth. Um, lastly, getting on our staff, as John mentioned. So, you know, there there's some really low-hanging fruit like social media and more life-changing opportunities like becoming a foster parent um, in the involvement list that we have, but all the support that we get from the community is really vital uh, to the success of the youth and families that we serve. I think the other thing I would add, 
um, um, you made a great point, Lada. It is a maybe you're not ready to be a foster parent, um, but one way, one one thing that you can do is that um, if you have a heart for it, you're most likely have friends and families that have that same heart, and maybe they might be in a different place in their life where they might be interested. So we're always looking for people to help us recruit more families since it's such a need. And oftentimes that's one of our better referral sources that comes from friends and families. And just be open to the idea. It may not fit in your life at this particular time, but it could later. And it doesn't have to be for 15 or 20 years. It could be for a year. It could be just for one child. Uh, you know, it could be short-term, could be long-term. Uh, and and um, so there's opportunities there too. So what are some of the other organizations that you partner with or collaborate with? So, so um, a number of them, as I mentioned, um, most of the services that we provide are through contracts with the county and we do child and family teaming. So we, we work as a team. So it could involve a child welfare social worker. It could involve someone from county behavioral health when we're not providing that behavioral health service because we do do that as well. It could also include people from education. It could also include our probation partners. Um, we also uh, mutually share clients sometimes with Transitions Mental Health Association, CAPSLOW. Um, we work, uh, some of our youth have a CASA, a court appointed social advocate. So we design all of our services in a team and the, in the center of that team is that child and family and the rest of us come around Often our staff will be the facilitator of that team. And then we develop what are their strengths, what are their needs, and then how do we help them achieve those goals through that team process? So, uh, you know, Food Bank, um, Haslow, um, all kinds of partners. Uh, Brittany probably deals with a handful I haven't mentioned, but we definitely see ourselves as, as, a, a, as a partner with the county uh, providers, but also the community as well, and our other partners that are CBOs. Brittany, were there others you wanted to add? Other community partners and organizations? So what is Family Care Network looking forward to in the future? What are some future plans? Well, I'm looking forward to Hopefully after the first of the year, we can um, implement um, our hybrid work plan where we're going to have um, a few more staff in the office while still remaining that remote flexibility uh, because um, the amount of work we do, you know, provides, you know, needs, there needs to be a lot of support and human connection. So we're looking forward to having that balanced plan where we'll be strategic when we have people back, when we can do supervisions and support together to accomplish uh, the goals that we have with our work. We're looking forward to helping our community, um, helping to impact housing, helping to maybe provide additional services if the county isn't able to because of workforce challenges. Um, you know, we're always looking forward and we're looking forward to the next group of staff that come in, the next group of foster parents and and we're looking forward to that. I'm, I'm also really excited about the springtime when we can get back to some of the programs that we had to stop during the pandemic, meaning we had a graduation night for the foster youth and it was a huge success. Our community would come, 
um, and support them. They would receive in-person scholarships and things like that. We want to get back to some of those things in person. Uh, we used to be able to have a career fair too, where we had all of the colleges, the trade unions and different companies come and be able to offer that exposure to our to our youth and our families. So we're looking forward to those type of things uh, again in the future. And I know Kaidi has a big eye in the future, what she wants to do with community resource. Well, I can say in the near future, uh, I'm, I'm looking to our Give Joy campaign. And right now, it, it, that campaign actually launches on Giving Tuesday, which is November 29th. I'm sure every nonprofit uh, person out there is, it knows exactly what that date is. Um, but November 29th, we launch our Give Joy campaign. And right now, we're, we're reaching out to the community for sponsors. Uh, so corporate sponsors. Um, Give Joy is an opportunity for us to engage our community in raising funds to provide the children, youth, and families that we serve with holiday needs. You know, winter clothing, food, um, even presents for the holidays, and um, and and even decor. To you know, to make the holidays the kind of environment that that perhaps all of us are accustomed to. So, so each year we raise money through Give Joy to provide those, those really key holiday needs to our clients. Lots to look forward to. Um, yeah. to, to close us out, I'd like each of you to talk about the personal impact of this work on you. What, what led you to to do this work for Family Care Network and how has it made a difference in your own lives? Well, I, I can share first. Um, I always draw back to to this question. I draw back to how I was raised and where I grew up. Uh, I'm one of seven kids uh, and um, uh, raised pretty primarily by a single parent who was a school teacher and became a social worker. Uh, my, my mom has always been kind of a, a role model of resiliency. She faced many obstacles in her life, uh, even prior to raising all of us by herself. Um, and she always uh, instilled in us a couple of values. One, no matter how bad you have it, somebody else has it worse. And two, um, no matter your situation, you have a responsibility to help others. And that's kind of always stuck with all of us in our family. So I really do feel um, it, it's it's truly an honor to be able to try to help these children and families in, in our community. And so that, that's really kind of essential to, kind of, to who I am. And so she was a very practical person and, and accomplished many things. And it was really kind of her drive and, and that she's part of that greater generation, right? Where they faced many things and, and, you, and you just do things. And she, one of the things she told us, um, she was uh, raised Irish Catholic on the west side of Chicago back in the old days. And she always told us, you know, faith without action is, is somewhat empty. She said, it's just a badge. It's not a ticket, meaning that you have to do something. You have a responsibility to help. That was part of her culture and those values that kind of passed on to me and my brothers and sisters. So I think that's really helped fuel me through the 30 something years I've been in this. And then again, just seeing this, the, the successes of uh, of, of those we've served is, is really re-inspiring for me. Heidi? I can say that um, I, I was really excited to, as, as someone who's been in fundraising, you know, I was really excited to work here at Family Care Network. Um, 
for a number of reasons, but one of them is my 15 year old nephew lives with me and his background, he, he resembles some of the, you know, children and youth that we serve here. Um, and so for me to learn so much about his experience, um, and, and understand the experience on some level of the children and youth um, in our care is, has been very profound for me. Um, and, and, and so I've been able to kind of relate to him in a, in a very different way. And I'm very grateful for that. It's just a, and it's a wonderful place to work. Brittany? Are, are you able to tell us about yeah. the personal yeah. impact. So for me, yeah, so for myself, I received services when I was younger, and that's been my motivation to get involved with the Family Care Network because um, I wanted to um, make a difference in the world and give back to the community for all the support that I was given. Thank you. I want to thank our guests today, John Nivio, Interim CEO of Family Care Network Incorporated, or FCNI, Brittany Page, Housing Navigator for FCNI, and Kaidi McArdle, Community Resources Development Supervisor for FCNI. We've been talking about Family Care Network Incorporated and the family-based treatment services it has been providing to California's Central Coast for the last 35 years, including foster care. Next week on Thursday, November 17th, please join host Fred Monroe as he speaks with experts who are working to keep the Diablo nuclear power plant open, including assembly member Jordan Cunningham. They will discuss what prompted the change in plans that were set to close the power plant and the steps that would need to be taken and approvals needed to keep things going. You are invited to listen, learn, and participate in the conversation between 1 and 2 p.m. Call in and be part of the discussion at 805-549-8855 or email questions to voices at kcbx.org. Central Coast Voices has been sponsored by Action for Healthy Communities and the San Luis Obispo Community Foundation in collaboration with KCBX. I am Lada Murti. Thank you for joining us today. 